podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool Football Club. First up today, it is Champions League draw day. So, the club website have listed our possible opponents in the group stage of this year's Champions League. From pot one, we can face German champions Bayern, Spanish champions Atletico Madrid, Europa League winners Villarreal, Italian champions Inter Milan, Portuguese champions Sporting, or French champions Lille. Now, I think obviously it would be nice to avoid Bayern and Atleti at this point, get them later in the knockouts when maybe they've got a few injuries, a few more things to worry about. Villarreal, you would fancy us to beat comfortably in both games. Inter Milan lost Lukaku, lost Hakimi, lost Conte. They won't be the force they were last season. Sporting are probably the underdog in the group coming out of Portugal, but they do have some quality players. We'll talk about them in a few minutes. And then Lille. Obviously, Lille, surprise winners of the French League last year. But Christopher Galtier, the manager, he's left. He's gone to Nice. They sold Bubakari Samare to Leicester City, so lose one of their important midfielders. Renato Sanchez has gotten injured, so he's out for a while. But the biggest loss for them from the playing side will be Mike Magnon, the goalkeeper. Best goalkeeper in France the last two, three years. Gone to AC Milan to replace Donnarumma. They haven't really done a whole lot in the transfer market so far. They've brought in Amadou Onana for £8 million from Hamburg. He's a talented player, midfield player, um, good on the ball, good engine, kind of typical Lille midfielder, a Senegalese born, but a Belgian underage international. Big, big unit of a kid, like 6'4". Been comparisons made to Vieira over the last 12 months. He's a good signing for them, but they aren't stronger than they were last year, and there's still a possibility that they could lose Sven Botman. So Lille would be a favourable draw. Sporting would also be a favourable draw when you consider that the Portuguese league, with respect, is not nearly as strong as the Premier League. Now, it was a great achievement for them to win the league last season, especially considering Benfica had made huge signings, spent a ton of money. Uh, Porto were expected to be very strong. But Ruben Amorim has done a, a brilliant job since taking over there. And he put together a team last season that just played tremendous football. Uh, this season, they haven't done a whole lot. They've brought in Ruben Vinagra from Wolves on loan. They've managed to keep their key players. So that's kind of what's important for them. Uh, Nuno Mendes, the really exciting young left back, he's stayed. João Paulinha, he has stayed. The defensive midfielder who played well for Portugal at the Euros. And Pedro Cancalves, who was their top goal scorer last year, has started this season in great form as well. Three goals in two games. He's the real danger man in the team. He's the one that we would need to be careful of if we did land in the group with Sporting. But Inter, Villarreal, they'd be they'd be good draws to get as well. They're, I would say, stronger than Sporting or Lille. But again, we'd fancy ourselves to beat them and beat them fairly comfortably, especially at Anfield. The top two, Bayern and Atleti, you'd like to avoid them. But if we get them, we won't fear them. From pot three then, Porto finished second in Portugal. Ajax, Dutch champions, RB Leipzig, second in Germany, Benfica, third in Portugal. Uh, they've come through the qualifiers. Atalanta, third in 
Syria, very high-profile attacking team. But obviously, we've played them in recent years. We played them last year, and we walloped them at their home ground. Now, we didn't play well against them at home, but there were a lot of factors in that. Zenit St. Petersburg, the return of the pebble, Dejan Lovren, uh, that could be an interesting one. Shakhtar Donetsk, Ukrainian champions, pretty strong team, always some exciting young players. And Orbi Salzburg, Red Bull Salzburg. We know they've always got quality young players. We know that there's always somebody at Red Bull Salzburg who stands out as someone we would like to take. It was Haaland a few years ago. Uh, Dominic Saibalaya was there. Right now, Brandon Aronson is of interest. He's the young American midfielder, can also play right back. He's very talented. But Kareem Adeyemi is the the star turn there. He's the big-time goal scorer they've got going into this season. Now, Seku Koyota is also a very exciting young attacker. Had a great season last year, scored 17 goals in 28 games. But Adeyemi is the one. He He's the real bright spark in this team. Five goals in five games already this season. 19-year-old German-born, was in Bayern's academy, left, found his way to Salzburg. They have huge hopes for him. They'd be an interesting team to get. Obviously, we've had them before as well. And then from pot four, Club Bruges, home of Simon Mignolet, Belgian champions. Young boys who won the Swiss League last year. AC Milan, Malmo, who obviously won the Swedish League. Uh, Wolfsburg finished fourth in Germany. Besiktas wouldn't be the most fun team to play. Difficult team to play, some good players, always a hostile environment to go into. Uh, Dynamo Kiev, and then Sheriff Tap Tiraspol, who are, I believe, the first Moldovan team to ever reach the Champions League group stage. So an incredible achievement for them. Um, they play in a small enough stadium, but 12,000 capacity. So you wonder if maybe they'd move their home games to the national stadium. I don't know what the national stadium in Moldova is, but um, I would imagine it's got a bigger capacity than 12,746. I think ideally our draw would look something like Sporting or Lille, Salzburg, and then any of Bruges, Young Boys, Malmo, or Tiraspol. That would be the ideal group. The worst possible group would probably be Bayern, Zenith, and AC Milan. That would be the toughest group. But again, I mean, we're not going to fear any of these teams, and we should be confident that we'll get out of the group regardless of who's there. I'd love us to get AC Milan, personally. I would love us to get AC Milan. They're back in the Champions League. They're one of the truly great teams of European football. We've got history with them, obviously, from 05 and 07. I'd like us to get them. I'd love us to get Ajax. I really would. I I would love us to get Ajax. But if we got those two and then either Sporting or Lille, that would be a brilliant group. You get good aways. You get good teams to play against. Historic teams in Ajax and Milan. When the draw is made, uh, we'll do a news round and we'll actually go in depth on the the teams we get and uh, what to look forward to in them. Moving on then. Liverpool.com have a piece up about Virgil van Dijk and how he must take an, an Italian lesson 
for Liverpool in the showdown against Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku. Talking about Virgil's, you know, pace and physicality and how he's one of the few that can match up with with Lukaku, who, you know, he's the he's become a hell of a player over the last couple of years. He was always a good player. He was always a very good player. But under Conte, he became a truly great player. And you'd imagine that Tuchel will be able to maintain that level with him. There's also a piece about how Erling Haaland's transfer shortlist is shrinking and it could bring Liverpool into contention. Uh, Erling Haaland's agent, Mino Raiola, stated this year that only 10 clubs could afford the transfer, but that list is shrinking and Liverpool could benefit. I'm not sure why we would assume that Liverpool would be one of the clubs that could afford it, uh, given what we've witnessed the last few years. And also, I don't really see that it's shrinking in many ways. Juve would find the money. Barca couldn't afford them, so we can take them off. And you would rule Chelsea out as well, considering they just signed Lukaku. But aside from that, City would still be there. PSG will want him. Bayern will want him. Juve will want him. Real Madrid will want him. United would want him. I, I can't see how we get in that mix. Rumours are that the asking salary is just obnoxious, completely off the rails. Mino will want a ridiculous agent fee for doing very little. That's generally Mino's Mino's way of things. Uh, He likes to be bribed more than anything. So I don't see that Liverpool will be in the mix, and I certainly don't see anything this summer, other than the fact that Chelsea signed Lukaku that would take anybody out of the mix. By this time next year... Barcelona's finances should be should be better and Real Madrid will definitely want him they want to pay to pair him and Mbappe and if they do that then the whole world is in trouble um, over on this is Anfield they have a piece up about Liverpool's newest signing 16 year old Bobby Clark from Newcastle United very very talented young player England under 16 international has turned down a scholarship with the tune to join us. He will sign a three-year contract, it's believed, once he turns 17. He is expected to be someone that gets fast-tracked, a little bit like Cade Gordon. Um, very highly rated. Lee Clarkson, the former Newcastle midfielder, played for, I think, Sunderland as well and was manager of like Huddersfield and a few other clubs. Birmingham, I think. Um, but yeah, Bobby Clark's meant to be very, very talented. There is also a piece on This Is Anfield from Henry Jackson uh, regarding Liverpool's squad depth or lack thereof in certain areas. And uh, it's just entitled A Liverpool Walking Squad Depth Tightrope with No Further Signings. Um, I haven't read the full thing yet, but Henry does come to the conclusion that a midfielder would be of, of great help given the injury issues that we've had and one up front. And I think we'd all agree. I think everybody agrees that those are the two things that Liverpool need. And even the journalists who are touting the line that, oh no, they don't need anybody, are the same ones who two months ago were telling everybody, no, they need a midfielder and they need a striker. So, a strange approach that these journalists take, but it is what it is. Uh, Liverpool need a midfielder and they need an attacker. It's just that simple. On This Is Anfield, the incredibly consistent Stephen Smith has a brilliant piece up about Jurgen Klopp and how Liverpool could potentially go about replacing him if and when he does leave. 
A um, little bit of speculation about a couple of people that could be considered. Uh, I see Julian Nagelsmann, Marco Rose. Really, really good piece from Stephen. As always, he is incredibly consistent. I don't know if he accepts followers on Twitter, but at Steve without the second E, at S-T-E-V-L-F-C. Give him a follow. Really good guy and a really, really good writer. Uh, if he podcasts, if he can talk as well as he can write, Gags and Eddie will have him on podcasts before long. Um, Quiva O'Neill has a really good piece out today about Costa Simicus and profiling him as a backup to Andy Robertson, how he fits, what the strengths are, etc. Done with Mark Carey. These two had put out the piece about Trent and Sadio earlier in the week. This is another good piece. They've also got a piece together about Fabinho and, you know, why he's so good at what he does. So those are all well worth reading. So give them a quick glance. And Neil Jones has a piece up on Cade Gordon on Goal.com. Well worth your time reading that one as well. That is basically it in terms of the latest news from around the Reds. Not a whole lot happening. We're hoping that, you know, maybe some transfer scuttlebutt will come up just so we've got something to talk about. Uh, David Marshall was linked bizarrely by the Daily Mail. Um, Marshall hasn't been a very good goalkeeper in, in a number of years. He's currently with Derby County. Uh, he's 36 years of age. He's not homegrown, so he doesn't fill a quota need. So I'm really not sure what the logic in Liverpool wanting him would be. He is no better than Adrian. He doesn't saw if he was homegrown, you'd say, okay, fair enough. Just just don't register Adrian. Gives you an opportunity to go and sign a non-homegrown player. But um, he's not homegrown, so absolutely pointless. Uh, Mikkel Damsgaard's name continues to crop up as well. That's an interesting one. Now, he's more of a winger than a wide forward but in time perhaps he could be developed into that he could also play a little bit as an attacking number eight he'd be a very attacking number eight but a number eight nonetheless i do like him he's a, he's a quality player he's young he's inexperienced but he presses really well he works incredibly hard off the ball sampdoria are in a bit of financial bother and i don't know maybe Maybe he's one that just makes sense for us. 21 years of age, well-schooled at Nordlesien, was there for seven years. Had the season with Sampdoria last year, scored two goals in 35 league games. But goal scoring wasn't really something he was hugely asked to do last season. Now, he did get 11 in 35 in his last season with Nordlesien. So there is the potential there that he can score goals. Um, they spent about €7 million Euro on him. So, 25 million sterling would probably get him very easily. Um, could be a very interesting one to get at that age, that kind of profile, that kind of potential. And we have a great history with Danish players. Big Jan, Danny Agger, two of my favourite players. So, bring on all the Danes. Podcast-wise, there are a couple of new ones up on Anfield Index. The King and AI, Kenny Dogleash, Eddie Gibbs and Mr. Carl Matchett. Um, new season, same king. Really good, really enjoyable listen. Uh, Moby on the spot, I, I mentioned yesterday. It's out. Trev and Jan having a chat. Rival recon with Harry. And the new scouted is out. Myself and Carl looking ahead to Chelsea. All of that is available on Anfield Index Pro. If you are looking for what we do on Anfield Index Pro, if you're wondering what it's all about, keep listening. We're going to tack on 
the latest post-match Raw, which is from the Burnley game. It just gives you an idea of what we do post-match, type of podcast we put out. There is a free trial, so you can check that out. If you like it, stick with it. If not, bin it off. No harm, no foul. Nobody will be too upset. Greg might be, but we won't tell him. That's it for today. Take care. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Enjoying this podcast? Then why not supercharge your support for the Reds with Anfield Index Pro? With around 30 premium podcasts every month, AI Pro offers the very best reviews, reaction and debate on all things LFC. From the acclaimed statistics and deep dive analytics found in our Under Pressure podcast, to the transfer links, scouting reports and fast live reaction shows we record after every match, AI Pro is home to our very best content. With regular appearances by Reds legends like Jan Mulby and Sir Kenny Dalgleish, plus insight from journalists, sports scientists, coaches and psychologists, we'll help bring you closer to the club you love. There's never been a better time to take AI Pro for a test drive. Available on all popular podcast platforms, with free apps for iOS and Android. You can try it absolutely free with no strings attached. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com to start your seven-day free trial now. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro. Podcasting to you as always from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and joining me to give their reactions to Liverpool 2, Burnley nil in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matcha. Just before we started here, Dave, we were talking about all the various ways we could take this show. It's obviously a great source of joy to be talking about another win and such a mm. such a comprehensive one. But I really was tempted by your idea of doing an entire show about Mike Dean because the crack was tremendous. Yeah, I mean, what a guy. 53 years old, walking around the fields, um, you know, encouraging professional wrestling suplexes I, I think he would have got the the baby oil and the spandex out for the lads if they if they wanted like no but doubt. no a, a really good win a really good win anytime you beat Burnley it's a good win because for whatever reason they always turn up to play against us and then roll over for Man City it, it just a dice way but you know a 2-0 win a clean sheet another 90 minutes for Virgil uh, Ali made a couple of great saves I thought the two fullbacks played well Costas getting another really good you know, out and under his belt, a very new look midfield that worked on the ball and didn't really work off the ball. Like defensively, our midfield struggled, but they got through. I thought Harvey Elliott showed up well and Mane gets a goal. That'll do him the world of good because he wasn't having a great day. And Jota gets another goal and, and just shows that kind of predatory instinct that we've talked about before. Like he might not, be the best all-round player, but if you put the ball to him anywhere in the 18-yard box, he is an absolute menace. And that goal today is just, it's a fantastic run. We'll we'll get to it, but his run towards that ball, the way he takes a step one way and kind of throws the defender and then bursts to, to the front post, the guy's instincts are incredible. And and like I say, 2-0, get Thiago gets back, Henderson got, a, got 90 under his belt. Always good to see, always good to see. Uh, so much to pull apart, uh, Carl, that we're going to enjoy doing exactly just that and probably uh, minimise the preamble for exactly that reason, because there are plenty of things to talk about. 
But in the face of what was a very, very um, game Burnley side, uh, you know, game to the point of of, of being um, quite tuggish at times, but, you know, also plenty of, of um, uh, you know, powerful Premier League traits in the, the, the lively winger and McNeil and a pair of lads up front who can pull it about a bit. Um, they were, they're always, as Dave says, always a bloody threat against us. Wish it was the case against others. They really as it said in the old shitty marketing campaign from a couple of years, came to play as not as opposed to not to play and put it up to us throughout. I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, I think we coughed up maybe three to four opportunities in fricking injury time. Uh, so a lot there to be grateful for having gotten past. And yet I feel, Carla, I can say it was a comprehensive win. Does that seem fair? I think it probably was uh, routine, let's say. I think it's fair to say that they started better and we and they finished better. But there was a big bit of game in between where we were like comfortably better. And I think it was fair to say as well, when we really stepped it up second half, we were like miles clear off them. They really did struggle to contain us for that period. So, uh, I mean, Burnley came with what they've got. And I think that that's absolutely fair. And I think that they probably... You know, bend the rules a little bit in this case for them and give them a point from this game because they did start with a lineup which had squad numbers one to eleven. Yeah, a big fan mm. of that. Mm. Big fan of that. I, that's that 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 in itself is worth an extra point. Give us the three, but give them one for effort. To be to be fair to to Daishi, uh, you know, there's lots to to like about the lad. I, I like the fact that he's into his music, and and that's a, clearly a stylistic decision there, boy. Uh, by old worm eater so fair play to him um we should like i say what we'll do is maybe as opposed to a specific um um ref watch for me here we'll just do endless ref watches as we go but i would say one thing about mike dean one thing and one thing alone that i'd say about mike dean and i always say about mike dean showy quite showy i would have thought would be my little uh categorization so we begin with the reds Lining up today, as Dave said, in an interesting fashion in midfield, the defence was as we would expect it. The attack, I guess, uh, was a, a, a potential source of contra- controversy whether Bobby would play or not. Um, Jota was chosen. But the midfield trio of the returning captain, Jordan Henderson, uh, Naby Keita, uh, who was probably the most predictable of the three, and Harvey Elliott, who I doubt many people had picked in their team. But I'm going to go and question that specifically with uh, you, Dave, because I hadn't managed to catch any podcast at all this week. So I didn't get to hear whether yourself and Carl had touted a potential start for Harvey. I don't think we did. I think we mentioned that he, you know, he, he might be involved, but I don't think we suggested he start and certainly not in the midfield three. Um there's been a debate all week over over squad depth, largely began by by Dan Kennett, and you know a couple of injuries today, and our depth is just out the window because we've got Henderson having to play ninety, coming back off basically six months out, Harvey starting in midfield at home to Burnley, which you wouldn't necessarily say is the ideal game for him, just given the tactics they employ and how physical they are. You've got two keepers named on the bench among the nine subs. No Milner, no Ox. My assumption my assumption is that Shaq, Divock and Nat were held out because they're all... They're off. They're off, yeah. You know, in, in, in one sense or another, I think that was the case with them. But, 
you know, it does just go to show with a couple of injuries just how fragile, not just our squad, but any squad can be. Because, you know, you normally would have Milner there as sort of Klopp's blankie that he can throw on wherever he needs him if things get a little bit feisty. And, and I, I thought, you know, Milner against Burnley, I wouldn't have started him, but to come off the bench and, you know, kick a few people and, and get some equalisers in would have been nice. We had a feeling Fab wouldn't play. Obviously, the news that came out yesterday, we, we talked about it when myself and yourself did the pod with Dave Davis, that Fab might might miss out today, and obviously that was the case. But Harvey starting was interesting, and what it did was it kind of shifted our shape a little bit because he wasn't really, when we had the ball, he wasn't really playing as part of a midfield three. He was playing high on the right-hand side, and Mo was almost playing with Jota in a two. So that 4-3-3 was spinning to a 4-4-2 while we had the ball. And I thought we saw a lot of good things from Harvey on the ball. He is he is absolutely fearless. Like that kid genuinely thinks he is the best player on the pitch. Yeah. And that's a great attitude for him to have. A couple of moments age. during the game, Dave, where he was. You know, oh, like let's let's be unbelievable. honest. Unbelievable. He he's a he's a, an outrageous talent. I, he I, is. I his controls, I, Trev, is second to none. Yeah. Like We'll we'll get to the second goal, but his part in that second goal just needs to be played in an endless loop. He is he's moving backwards quite quickly and he controls a sixty yard ball dead on his chest. Yeah. And then has the wherewithal and the awareness to pick Trent out with a really quick pass. And he he opens things up for the goal. But throughout he picked the ball up and he played with purpose. He wanted to get forward, he wanted to get involved, he wanted to mix with Mo and with Jota and with Trent and forced the issue. And I, I thought it was really, really promising. Like, we got him for, I think, four million, maybe rising to seven is what the tribunal ruled. Uh, Carl might know better, but it, it, it's already a bargain. I mean, it's already, a, but we could sell him tomorrow and get 25 million. You know, he's, that, he's that kind of talent. And whether he ever ends up as a number eight, I have doubts, but it's a good way to get him games this season. You know, he'll probably fill in in the front three a couple of times as well. It's just, it's delightful to see a young lad like that at Anfield in front of a packed crowd against Burnley, just walk out and, and be like, yeah, I absolutely belong here. And in fact, it's all of you that need to prove to me that you belong on my pitch. And that's rare that you see it. We saw it with Trent when he was coming through, that kind of confidence, that not arrogance, but it's it borders on it in a good way. And Harvey has that in spades, and he's just, he's a different level of player. No doubt we'll mention him many, many more times uh, as we go through it. And Carl, just to look at Burnley with you for a second and the way they chose to go. Uh, Pope, obviously, uh, in goal. Loughton, Tarkovsky and me and Taylor. No surprises there. Goodmanson, Brownhill, Cork and McNeil. I think one possible um, uh, surprise there. I'm not sure if in advance we knew about their injury situation. And then Wood and Barnes up front. So eminently predictable. And Speaking to Jason McIntyre on a show during the week, he was saying that the one thing he'd be worried about with Burnley was how samey they were um, from previous campaigns. And of course, there are still some days, weeks, whatever left in the transfer window for business to be done. But he was talking about the potential for staleness selling in and whether or not they might be involved in the relegation battle. It all depends on whether they play like they do against us or whether they play like they do against City, I guess, on a regular basis. On their bench, they had Jay Rodriguez there, Hennessy's their backup keeper. Collins, Eric Peters came on, Norris, Phil Bardsley, who must be 108 at this stage, Thomas, Richardson and Dodgson. Um, 
love that name, Dodgson. Um, what did you think of the way they went? Was it as eminently predictable as I was thinking, or were you surprised by anything? Uh the only one I was particularly surprised by was Westwood not playing. Uh, I didn't have any indication that he wasn't going to, certainly not at the time we recorded the podcast, but obviously corking for Brownhill is always a, um, a an alternative pairing for them. I, I'm, I am curious as to why you like Dodgson. Is that a Jurassic Park reference for yourself? I, I'm not I'm not a Jurassic Park fan, but it's just so close to dodgy and so no. that I'm just right. getting a bit of a kick out of it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice early Sorry. season tangent there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing about I, I, I apparently um, um, Westwood was injured. Um, apparently, that's what I was told by the good folk at um, uh, at BT Sport. Uh, obviously, if you're not making the squad, that must be what was going on there. So yeah, that that was really the only surprise, Carlin. I mean, the thing about that, what do you, what do you think about that theory? I mean. Oh, Jesus, look, God, no, okay, we've been speaking about Harvey Elliott and we do have the new boy in defence, but we are kind of looking at a similar thing where we're hoping to maintain a similar squad and do great things with it. Is there anything to that argument about sameness and uh, staleness, do you think? Well, I mean, it works both ways, doesn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you can't bring in four or five players if they're going to be fairly regular first teamers and have familiarity and really good organization and all the rest of it you can't have it both ways uh, at the same time you do need to freshen things up especially if you've got players leaving which i think is the more important thing for burnley i mean if you, you consider for example the season we won the, the premier league we didn't make loads of changes this the summer beforehand it was largely the same squad uh, as we'd gone to win the Champions League with and so on. And we had that familiarity and the players were able to still get a little bit better with coaching, with uh, obviously a few players coming into their own form and maturity and just general fitness levels for one or two of them might have been different. And Burnley, on the other hand, have lost a few players. We spoke about it during the week, especially in the wide areas, the creative players that they usually look to be in somewhere between wingers and when they sort of attacked the penalty box wide forwards as well. They lost Lennon, they lost uh, Hendrick. I mean, there's been quite a few of them and they've had nobody coming to replace them. I think that's where the big thing is. Also, when Liverpool did it, we were starting from a position of strength. We weren't adding to the squad, but we were already very, very good. One of the best in the world. And Burnley are already one of the teams down at the bottom of the league. That's the mm. other issue for them. So there's positives for it. There, there are things against it, obviously, but overall, it's not a problem unless quite a lot of your players are already hit a ceiling. And I think it's well, probably arguable that the, the ages that a lot of the Burnley players have, they are at that ceiling already. But my concern with that Burnley team is is the ages. I mean, you look at the, the 11 that started today. Um, Charlie Taylor is 27. Uh, Dwight McNeil is 21. And Josh Brownhill is 25. And every other player is 28 and older. And four of them are over 30. And Chris Wood will be 30 in a couple of months. Like that is an, it's an aged team. But with Dyche, it is the familiarity. It is knowing what he can get out of those players. It is knowing that those players have been indoctrined in the Sean Dyche way of playing. And myself and Carl went over that Burnley team recently. And if they got relegated, Nick Pope would not go down with them. Tarkovsky would not go down. Chris Wood, I don't think, would go down. And Dwight McNeil wouldn't get in. But the rest of them could all go and play in the championship absolutely fine. Like they're not must be in the Premier League. Ashley Westwood didn't play. I think he's a Premier League player. But the rest of them, you could make an argument. You know, they're, they're bottom end of the Premier League. 
but more more high end championship players that Dyche is just maximising. There's a handful that are could be good Premier League players in, at other clubs. McNeil being the standard, I think he's a very very good player. But the worry would be if Dyche walked tomorrow. I don't know that any other manager is getting the same kind of results out of that squad, especially when you consider the lack of depth available. Like they have their first eleven, and currently. They only have 10 other senior players registered, players over the age of 21. That's it. That's all they have. And like among those, you mentioned Phil Bardsley's very, very old. Uh, Dale Stevens is not a Premier League caliber player. Wayne Hennessy's 34, I think. Eric Peters must be 35. Will Norris is the third choice keeper. Kevin Long's not a Premier League player. Vidra's not really a Premier League player. Jay Rodriguez in his 30. Like it's an old squad that really lacks in quality. Without Dyche, they would be in the championship. And if they lost the players that are more than good enough to play in the Premier League, you could see, seriously see them going Premiership, Championship, League One within yeah. two years. That's, that's well, the I... type of job that Sean Dyche is doing there. Like, And I know he's not everybody's favourite because the style of football is not very good, but... You have to look at, like Carl said, look at the players he's lost, the depth options he's lost. Last summer, he was given 500 grand to spend. That was it. This summer, they've signed one player so far, Nathan Collins, really good young Irish centre-back. They paid 12 million from Stoke. But at the moment, he's a squad player, and he will be until Tarkovsky moves on. They haven't been able to upgrade that first. The only only first-team player they have signed in the last two years is... Josh Brownhill, who you could argue is not in their best 11 if Westwood is fit. Now, I think he's a slightly better player than Jack Cork, but still, one first-team player in in two years. It's different for us when you're talking about a team with multiple world-class players. And we've also added Thiago, Jota, and now Canate, and Costas, of course. Like, their situation is far more samey than ours. Their situation really is a manager inching every single bit out and like i say with the age the current the current situation for them is they're really going to have to start turning this team over not the squad the actual team over in the next few years or they're going to find themselves with an entire team over the age of 30 all at once because mcneil will be off i'd say next summer and then everybody else bar brownhill will be 28 29 and over 30 and, and that's a real worry if you're trying to eke out games and you've got a small squad where you want everybody playing every single game. Sure. And if only they had the showy WWE fancying Mike Dean refereeing every game, I guess there's a potential for them to have enough results because the uh, more thuggish side of their play might have been uh, endured and uh, facilitated across more Premier League games. And, you know, that has led to several chances today. That has led to several moments where we're on the back foot today. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting argument. This it'll be it'll be very interesting to watch how they get on. Let's get into the details of the first half, Carl, with yourself. And we'll go up as far as the first goal. And um, you know, there's not a huge amount to talk about really, if we're being honest, until we get to that goal. Things of note. I mean, we can't not talk about how wonderful it was here to hear the crowd. I mean, you can wax romantic about it all day. Everybody has their own take on it. But for me, just listening to those songs, 
listening to that opening roar when the when the the whistle sounded that's just special special stuff and we cried enough about it when we didn't have it that we should revel a little bit in it when it comes back um there was an early shot a header wide from a trent alexander arnold free kick on the right hand side um that was in the early moments on four minutes and there were several of their their lot offside as McNeil got a shot away, which ended up, I think, being blocked off. I think it was Trent onto the post. Wouldn't have counted anyway. Like I said, multiple offsides. 16 minutes, there was a ward header saved point blank uh, after uh, by Allison after McNeil cross. Um, and then on 18 minutes, we go, uh, sorry, wood header. We, on 18 minutes, we go 1-0 up. It is Diogo Jota. Um, I loved this goal. I loved so much about it. it. It was as enjoyable as the second. Naby doing some nice carrying of the ball on the left-hand side, what we like to see, laying the ball off to Simicus, um, who made uh, one of his many excellent contributions today. No doubt my favourite one was where he was dribbling the ball with his torso just before he left the park. But this is a very, very important in, um, interjection into the match today. Carl, his cross is beautiful. Um, and Diogo Jota, um, who makes, as Dave said earlier on, a very, very clever run uh, and flashes a header across Pope and into the far corner for us to be one up. And it's not necessarily uh, a, a lead that we deserved on the balance of play to, the, to that point. Um, but it's one that we go on to very much underline afterwards. Um, talk me through that opening section and anything you wanted to chat about in relation to the goal itself. Well, as I said, I think Burnley did probably start uh, a little bit more on the front foot. They were you know, quicker into the challenges, doing all the things that they have to do to to set up and play the way that they do. They were, they were aggressive. They were nice and compact in midfield. They tried to force us backwards and they did that very well. A couple of times we were caught in midfield. Elliot, I think, tackled once just outside the box. Again, like we've seen already a few times, uh, a tackle that probably would have been called for a foul last season. And I'm quite happy to see some of those going and being let go this season. And uh, we do get a bit of that ability to win the ball back quite aggressively, as long as it's not you know anything dangerous or anything like that. Um, Alison, I think, did well with a couple of near post efforts as well. Uh, quick crosses, quick headers, near post, that sort of thing. He was, he was very, very dominant and assured, I think, for the vast majority of the match. So that was another quiet positive today uh, in among the clean sheets. The goal, I'll let Dave talk about the run because I know he wants to, and that that, that was definitely a big, big thing from Jota. But again, pinpoint cross from Simigas. I think he has, a, uh, in some ways, a similar cross to Andy Robbo from that side where it's like quite a whipped effort. But whereas I really prefer... Robertson's low balls in across the, the front of that six-yard box. I think Simicast is a bit better in deeper areas or on the angle with higher crosses. And it's a nice little uh, differentiation between the two of them, a nice difference of things that the defenders have to uh, work against. And importantly, against Burnley, because the nature of that team, that how good the defenders are at doing the basic stuff of centre-backs, those crosses have to be like pinpoint if you're going to make the most of them. And that was just a really, really well-timed, well-weighted cross into a good area. Yeah, 100%. And something about the quality on display there, I think, just kept getting recreated. Like I say, there are things we're going to focus on which gave me a little bit of anxiety as towards the end of the game. Second half, I thought we were mostly dominant. But over the rest of this half, I'm going to be chatting with Dave about now, some things to concern 
but generally that quality is there in us from the start and it's quite encouraging. Um, on 19 minutes, there was a chance, uh, Dave, where McNeil had a shot saved at the near post by Allison, and Carl mentioned it there. I think you mentioned it early on as well. Allison was was superb today, dominant, making saves. He had no right to make a, a, a one towards the end, which wouldn't have counted. Uh, clawing one out of the top corner um, from Rodriguez. But this type of one here from McNeil, really important to keep, to just say no all the time. He did a couple of those ones mm. where um, the, uh, the, the 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 whistle had gone or it was definitely offside and he just saved it or blocked it or whatever. Anyway, these are the kind of things we really, really love to see. 21 minutes, Mo had the first of many curled shots saved or just why this time Pope gets to it, leads to a corner and Virgil has a header from that corner, which just goes over. Um, notably in that opening 25 minutes, I I was very encouraged by the progressive work that Jordan Henderson was doing and lovely first time passes and decent um, pace on the ball and I was I was very very encouraged because it's, it's nice to see the kid back a and nice to see the the, the standard of the stuff I'm not sure that he managed to maintain it for the whole game but you wouldn't expect that anyway but that opening half hour I thought worth a mention that there was an awful lot of nice touches in that uh, in that period by him they wrote, ruled out a goal in 26 minutes from us and it was just so lovely um mo had the ball in the back of the net there was a gorgeous harvey elliott pass to open them up completely mo runs onto it sweeps it in across the face of goal the inside of his left foot to the far post um VAR ruled it out. I was up jumping around, giving it a full-throated roar. I was so pleased with that, and it just sickened my happiness that it was disallowed. I couldn't even look at the replay. I was that disgusted. Uh, so you can tell me what, what you, whether you think it was definitely on or off. Um, Ali pulls a little sidestep on 30 minutes, um, which uh, gave the crowd a bit of a, uh, a laugh. And on 30 minutes, Sadio shinned one over after a glorious ball over the top by Trent. And it was kind of a precursor of what was to come later on. Uh, at this point, I've just met, I've just written in my notes, Jesus Christ, McManaman is a dose. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm to pause it there and let you come in because there's lots of bits going on here. And then we can see this first half out as well. Yeah, if I can just start with, with our with our first goal. Um, the Nabi part of our first goal is brilliant because it's he drives forward and the two defenders back off. So when he knocks it back to Costas, he has 10 yards of space to take his time and put his cross where he needs to. And like I said, Jota's run reminded me of something I saw Jurgen Klinsmann do a few times where you take that one step one side, the defender goes a step backwards with you. And you burst in front of him. And I just thought, I thought the goal itself was brilliant. Um, you're right. I mean, they they did have moments. The, the McNeil chance was a little bit of lazy midfield play where no runner tracked him or nobody tracked the runner. And he was able to get into our box a little bit too easy. But like you said, Ali with a really good save. I thought on the ball for that first half hour, Henderson looked like he hadn't been away, some really good passes, um, some aggressive passes, you know, trying to force things forward, which was nice to see. Defensively, he did look rusty. He looked off the pace. And and again, you don't expect him to come back in and look, you know, as sharp as, as he would with a run of five, six games under his belt. But just certain small positional things were off. It, again, it's not his natural position. So, you know, you do have to take the good with the bad there. If it's fab, it's a very different level. 
Um, the Mo one, it's such a shame because it would have been a beautiful goal and it would have been a really nice assist for Harvey. He probably is just borderline offside. Even with the, the new kind of more favourable rules for the striker, I think he probably is a, just about borderline offside, but it's really, really close. And the frustrating thing is he didn't really need to go as early as he did because of the way Harvey delayed and played the pass. Mo could have been a step later and, and still got his shot away. Um, all things considered, I thought that 15-minute spell that we've just been through, we were much improved from the first 15 where, you know, Burnley came out and really were up for the game. And I think when they didn't get that early goal, the game sort of found a rhythm and a shape. And when games find rhythm and shape, the better team will generally dominate. That's just how the game works. When there's chaos, that's when a lesser team can have, you know, a big impact on the game. And they tried to create that bit of chaos early on. We've tried to do it in the past. When we weren't this level of team, we played PSG at Anfield the year we lost to Real in the final. We weren't as good as we are now, but and they were a team of superstars. We just created chaos in midfield and overran them and blew them off the pitch for half an hour. Um, when the game settled down, though, our class really began to show and players like Naby, like Elliot, were able to link with the attacking 3-0. We saw the fullbacks come more into the game and getting that assist, I think, really boosted Costas's confidence as well. And after that, you saw him making the runs that we're so used to seeing Robbo make. You saw him diving underlap for Mane to find him with a pass. And things like that were really good to see. And it's it's great to see this lad who had a really rough season last year through he had COVID, he got injured. We lost all our centre-backs. So Kloppa wanted to keep Robbo in the team for at least a bit of continuity in the back line, a bit of organisation in the back line. And Costas didn't get many chances. So... Seeing him play like this is, is you know, it's really, really good. It's 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 nice for him. He obviously didn't enjoy his first year at Liverpool. There was talk during the summer he could go, but he wants to stay. He wants to prove himself. And listen, if 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 Andy Robertson wasn't made of some sort of unbreakable rubber and was out for six to eight weeks like a normal person would be after that kind of ankle injury, if Costas was to keep playing like this and continually get better, Robbo would have a big fight in his hands. Yeah, and that's quite the that's quite the compliment in and of itself. Just to be able to say that uh, that Robbo would have a, a fight in his hands that says it all. Uh, I'm so happy for the kid. There's something sort of inherently scouse about him as well. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, 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 just to b- double down the point you made there, and I just for the record, if anyone who's listened to this hasn't seen the game, you you could get misled by the uh, match pundits, by the official reports, by the comments you're going to see on Twitter and wherever, into thinking that you know in some way Burnley really really uh, were unlucky today and had massive chances just to be clear in a boon for all Satanists out there Liverpool had 66.6% of the possession and 27 shots to Burnley's nine that is dominance and let's not lose track of that just because they got in for a few digs two of which ended up being ruled off for uh, offside um to get back to finishing out the details of that first half with you Carl um we start to 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 ramp it up a bit 34 minutes a dangerous Trent cross was just stopped I think by Cork ahead of Mo Salah's boot um 
Mo then cut in two minutes later um, from his usual right-hand side and poked a sort of a mad outside of the foot toe-poke effort um, at the keeper. It was sort of, <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, um, but fair play to him. He was thinking goal, I suppose. Uh, on 38 minutes, Naby drove uh, one over on the half volley from distance. I think it was on the right-hand side. 41 minutes. Uh, Mo curled effort after some lovely interplay, including uh, Naby and Jordan Henderson, uh, was headed away uh, by Ben Mee. And on 44 minutes, um, just to rattle us a little bit going in at halftime, uh, a long ball floated in from a free kick and our defenders sort of seemed to be leaving it to Ali to come out and claim on the edge of the box. Tarkovsky was having none of that. He actually got there ahead of Allison. I don't know, was it kind of a head-shoulder combo? Anyway, it went narrowly wide and uh, it sort of left, I think, that sort of feeling that, you know, oh, they're right in this kind of thing. Um, and it was it's it's a fortunate type of a, of a thing and maybe a misread between our defenders and Allison. I know for sure that... Um, the sainted duo of Fletch and McManaman said that Sean Dyche would be, and I quote, the happier of the two managers going in at halftime. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about media spin. Talk to me what you think about what you thought about the the, the closing part of the first half. Um, I think pretty much summed it up nicely there. We, we, we grew as the match went on. We, we started to dominate and create a few more chances of our own. There were a few almost really good chances yeah, a couple of them which were you know blocked inside the six yard box and while they were on the way to goal that sort of thing I think that was the period where you could tell that I know what they were saying and that Klopp was probably not going to be uh, happy that we were further from our best than Burnley were from their best if you know what I mean but it's still phrased wrongly one manager who's winning is not going to be less happy than the one who's losing uh, and that was kind of summed up when they were talking about the, the fans being back at Anfield for the first time and McManaman's first comment to it was yeah the traffic will be awful yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. not really the line that most people are going for here after you know 15 <laughs> months away from being uh with, with being able to use their season tickets and all the rest of it but whatever um I think Liverpool did grow into the game as it went on but the second half was where we really, I think, exploded and took control or really stepped up the tempo. I think it was controlled once we took the lead rather than explosive. And we still had quite a few gears to go up. And uh, maybe first half, we didn't quite do that enough. You know, you've teed me up nicely as we lead into the second half to bring us back um, to try and keep some sort of uh, nice little bit of symmetry in the show here and get back to Mike Dean because Jurgen as if he'd been reading our minds or listening to the early part of the show, has been quoted as saying, the second goal for Brentford against Arsenal must be a foul. There is one message now, let the game flow. But nobody knows now. We have to stick to protecting the players. Watch wrestling if you like these kinds of challenges. So that's very, very interesting. It ties in nicely with what we were saying about that. Uh, you can imagine Klopper was a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and I know struts, very struts around the house in cut off jeans and t-shirts with the sleeves ripped off, giving his missus the finger and you know slugging beers <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave, the second half started with that that uh, ball in the back of the net from Burns. He was well offside, but we were kind of opened up there. Um, that was the, the the thing of concern for me. Um, we then saw Virgil with a double clearance on 53 minutes. 
uh, you know, so a, a bit of time has elapsed. It's not like they build up a head of steam or anything, but it was a, an important little moment and one of those things where you, you know, I found myself just doing a sort of a, a little smile to myself, looking at him back, stru- uh, doing his thing. Um, and it's a very incredibly impressive sequence of play really from us uh, i think we've 92 percent possession at one stage during this it's a sequence of chances where the first one in 55 sadio scuffs one at the keeper after a great through ball by jota on 57 from a trent corner virgil has a volley that goes narrowly wide i think it comes off me but nothing's given in the way of a corner mo salah has a shot in 59 minutes blocked after a class harvey elliott ball and then on 61 minutes, Sadio attempted, uh, a, a Sadio's attempt to scramble away by Pope after a, a good Jota pass. Lots of nice link-up play. At this point, I'm noticing that Barnes is getting pulled up for bear-hugging Jota on a corner. We've had lots of corners. I've seen this a lot all the way through the game. It took Mike Dean an hour to notice that it was happening. We saw a diagonal ball, one of those things we've missed so much from... Virgil to Mo in 63 minutes. That led to a corner, and from that in 64 minutes, Sadio has a header at goal after some interplay after that corner was taken. But it's a tame enough effort, even though it was good technique. And then on 68, uh, Dave, we do go 2-0 up, and it is Sadio Mane. And it starts with one of those Virgil van Dijk diagonal balls. It goes out to Harvey Elliott. He takes it down, as we spoke about earlier, so impressively. Plays the ball in. Uh, It seemed to be the outside of his left foot into Trent, who's in full stride. I love watching Trent in full stride because he is such a technician. He can do everything in the game. And it's a beautifully dinked ball to go with the outside of the foot, uh, past and around the defender into the path of Sadio Mane. And he's unerring. It's a beautiful half volleyed finish, beautifully struck to the back of the net. Uh, Everything about that goal was picture book. It was. It was. It was absolutely fantastic. The... The little bit of interplay we had on the left-hand side that sort of spread the field a bit more and dragged Burnley across when Naby, Henderson and Costas were all kind of linking. Jota was dropping in. The ball goes to Virgil. It's an unbelievable pass to Harvey. And like I mentioned earlier, Harvey is backpedalling and just takes that ball down incredibly well, gets his head up, finds Trent, and Trent's pass you mentioned earlier, Trev, for the Sadio chance in the first half. It was a very similar type of pass. This one was a little a little easier of a chance for sure. It's a brilliant finish, though. Like, all four of them, Virgil, Harvey, Trent and Sadio, their, their involvement in that goal was world-class. Every little bit of what they did was world-class. And it was no less than we deserved. Like you said... We'd really ramped things up at this point and we were really on top of them. They were resorting to just thuggish behavior. And you mentioned the the Barnes thing. I mean, literally, he was draped all over Jota, dragging out of him. Jota was pushing, trying to get free. He was maybe a little bit lucky not to get more of a stern talking to because he did sort of swing his leg a little bit. But what I liked most about Mike Dean calling Barnes and Jota over was Virgil just going over and standing in the middle of them. And looking at Barnes as if to say, if you do that again, I'm going to go stand on you. 
and let's see what you do then. Like he had this real dismissive sort of smug look on his face. Like, who are you, little man? Yes. <laughs> Poor yeah. Ashley Barnes was guilty. He looked a bit nervous. He looked all fiery when it was Jota he was gobbling out. And when Virgil had dejected, he didn't look so very uh, confident in what his own behaviour would be. But no, look, we were we were absolutely on top. You mentioned the Sadio chances. He, he the The frustrating thing about the one he scuffed was that when Jota played him the ball, all you needed Sadio to do was continue that ball on the same path and Salah was in, nobody close to him. If he just played the ball across his own body into that little bit of space, Mo makes it too. But, you know, it didn't matter in the end. Sadio would get the second goal a few minutes later and, and it was well-deserved. We'd, we'd absolutely earned that goal. Yeah, it's a hell of a passage of play and... Yeah, it's interesting, that thing about Virgil you're talking about. I remember when we were kids, uh, the very rare occasions, myself and my brother might step out of line. The old man would just sort of fix you with a look and say, mm. have a bit have a bit of manners. That was his line, <laughs> have a bit of manners. And it was just, he went down in octave or so, and you were just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, only, you can only imagine that's how um, Perel, uh, uh, Ashley Barnes felt. Oh, by the way, Ashley... Take a number one to it, will you, lad? Jesus, give up the ghost. Um, on 75 minutes, Carl, uh, Joel has a header cleared off the line. Joel Matip, what a lad. Really, really delighted to see him back in the team, playing so well. We know what he can do going forward. Uh, and it's nice to see him evolve at both ends of the pitch. Sadio has another attempt blocked soon after that. I think it came from that corner. And they bring on Rodriguez for Wood on 74. Um as that minute plays out, Mo curls one wide from distance. It probably won't be the last time I say that in this summary. And then we saw Ali um, with a stop a stop from, from Ashley Barnes uh, after the offside whistle had gone 78 minutes. But again, one of those things that I've said so many times to you guys in the past, psychologically, I think those things are important. Um, they bring on Peters for Goodmanson on 78, and we do our double substitution of Bob and Thiago for Jota and Naby. And, you know, nominally, you could look at that and say, well, Jesus, we've actually gone up a level in terms of quality there, um, depending on your assessment of the relevant players or the, the players in question. And it was kind of exciting to think, well, what are we going to do now? Because I was just looking at the amount of absolute ballers on the field. Our new discovery of Harvey. We've got Bobby coming on now who can do bits. You've got Thiago who had at least one moment of outrageousness. If a couple of uh, dubious ones as well. But so many like ridiculously talented one-touch footballers on the park didn't necessarily play out that way. Um, we had a couple of efforts, but not as many as I was hoping as the match wound down. But I'm just going to pause it there before you and I see out the match as well. Uh, and then I'll go to Dave for his wrap up and I'll come back to you for yours. Just up to that point um, in the second half between the goal and the double substitution, anything of note you wanted to mention there? Because sometimes I can blow past stuff that you might have wanted to say. Uh, no, I, I think the overall theme of that whole period of the game was that we were just playing a lot quicker. And it's something that when we do step it up, which, you know, the first couple of games of the season, changing midfield, that sort of thing, it's fine. But it hasn't been something we've done for an entire half yet. But when we do, teams can't live with it. You know, we saw it in brief flashes, let's say, in the pre-season games against Atletico and Osasuna, for example. We saw it against Norwich, uh, especially later on in the match where maybe they were starting to tire a little bit. And we've seen it again today for, I think half an hour or so in the second half and when we start moving it that quickly 
a big, big part of the build-up play there. Obviously, Virgil van Dijk coming back, and we saw as the game went on, he was playing more and more of those big diagonal balls really accurately. We saw more and more often Harvey Elliott stretch and play out to the right-hand side, doing the uh, right-side of midfielders overlap, letting Salah come inside, letting Trent go inside, really switching up. It's very, very tough for defenders, even a team as organised as Burnley, to keep track of that because the centre-mids aren't sticking with the centre-mids. The full-backs yeah. aren't sticking with the wingers. It's it's really, really tough. And when we start doing that, when we start moving it about quicker and having that movement, rotation of positions, very, very few teams can live with that. And that whole, I don't know, like I say, 30 minutes or so, we were really good at that. We should have scored a couple more um, but you know, good blocks, a couple of good saves, one or two we didn't get the right connection on. I think one of them went through Mane's legs and just missed uh, Elliot running behind him, something like that. There were a couple of others. We could have gone two, three, four in that 15 or 20 minute spell of uh, play, and I think it would have been well deserved. But as it is, one more there was enough to really kill the game off. It was, and then there was something that happened. I mean, obviously, Bob and Thiago, come on, there's a, a whipped shot by Trent on 83. Sadio missed a great ball in by Mo Salah after a glorious Harvey Elliott pass out to Mo. Um, it was a lovely uh, carve-up of an opportunity, and it sort of just seemed to roll under Sadio's feet as he was rushing towards it. Mo had one of those cut in and, and shots on 86, and Ali had that save uh, from that Rodriguez half volley that I spoke about. I think Barnes flicked it on, and again, I was cu- it was a cu- it was a curious moment. There was a kind of ball which seemed to have been left um, by our centre halves. Uh, Barnes did his thing and flicked it on uh, into the path of Rodriguez. He hit his shot, but obviously it was an offside scenario. But a glorious save by Ali in the top corner. At that point, one of the match highlights for me were. Simicus is falling over. He's flat on the ground. He starts shielding the ball with his torso, rolling the ball forward with his torso, somehow manages to get himself up and run to the corner and maintain possession. And my God, if you're ever going to do anything to endear yourself to the cop, uh, that'll do it. Um, and it was just before he went off as well. Um, soon after that point, we saw Thiago do a kind of faint and dummy combo. And I was like, oh, yeah, please, there might be a goal in this for us here, uh, even in these four minutes of added time. But let's be realistically uh, re- realistic here. In those added minutes, Carl, Virgil had to do a brilliant one versus one with Rodriguez. Um, me headed over from a corner that that arose from that. Um, we brought on Joe Gomez in 92 for Simicus. Uh, we needed a brilliant one versus one by Joel on 93 minutes, which allowed Ali to come and claim. And then on 94 minutes, it took him another magnificent save from Allison, uh, from Barnes, right at the death. Um, and also, just to continue the slightly negative tone here, it did seem as if Trent was limping at the end of the game. We should address all of those things. Now, I know the boys on BT, Carl, were trying to say that um, uh, Thiago was sort of central to a couple of those uh, chances um, with loose passes, shall we say, or a loose header and a loose pass, I think, combo. Um, what do you think happened there in that uh, extra time period where, like, I mean, in a, in a different parallel universe they could have mugged us right at the death and that's that would have been sickening 
it was a little bit like that the end of the game. I think it was Newcastle last season where we just did everything wrong, sat back, weren't passing out very well, and they had a few chances, scored one, it got disallowed, and then they scored again, and this was all in like the final three minutes or something like that. Uh, yeah. I think it was just as simple as that. We switched off. We, we kind of finished the game early as such. It was actually the same at the end of the first half, except Burnley weren't really pushing on, but Liverpool... I think in about the last minute, two minutes and stoppage time, Klopp's going crazy on the touchline because we'd gone so flat, so slow. We weren't really running in midfield to close them down. We weren't um, you know, stepping up to them to try and win the ball back or keeping hold of it when we did have it. It was just kind of, it's gone over a throw in, we'll walk. We're, and he was going berserk for about a minute there before the halftime whistle went. And I think it was just the same as that. Just very, very simple, switched off, game's done. And Burnley obviously pushed on a little bit more. And thankfully, Van Dijk with that really big tackle that you mentioned and Alisson with a couple of uh, really big interventions as well. Otherwise, that would have been a bit of the shine off it because you lose the clean sheet. Obviously, it's only uh, one goal win. You have to sort of see out the, the last couple of minutes with a little bit of nerves when you shouldn't have had any. So thankfully, it was a big performance from uh, a couple of them in that closing few minutes. But again, especially heading into uh, Chelsea next time out, you, you want to make sure that it is a, a full 90-minute performance and not easing off at any point because better teams with better attackers, they will punish you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like you say, hopefully it's just sort of early season rustiness because we do we do ha- seem to have the happy knack of playing for the full 90 under Klopp. Um, we've seen that repeatedly where results have been achieved in that period. And I'll be back to you, Carl, for any wrap-ups or sum-ups or anything like that that you've got in a minute. Allow me to go to you, Dave, for just that now. I mean, any sort of overall thoughts, anything we left on the table that you want to talk about? Um. No, just as Carl said, we, we got very loose at the end. Um, Thiago had one bad moment. The header that let them in, that's Joel Matip's fault. If Joel Matip isn't asleep, Matip steps out, takes that ball easily, and there's no danger. Now, a couple of minutes before that, Matip had tried to block a cross with his head and gotten all wobbly-legged. I don't know if you noticed. He got really wobbly-legged he for did. Yeah, five yeah, seconds. Yeah. It was a worry. Yeah, and I don't know if maybe that was affecting him or, or what was going on, but he didn't seem didn't seem on it at all. Um, the the Rodriguez half volley that Ali pulled out of the top corner was was judged to be offside, and I, I floated the theory last week that referees and linesmen are, are allowing uh, offsides against Liverpool to go a little bit longer so that they can have the Joel Matip tantrum. And this falls into that category as well, because he did exactly what we expect him to do. The kind of hunch down with the arms thrown out in front um, as if he's either taking a dump or pleading for a dump to come. Um, <laughs> just a very amusing man. He's just he is absolutely brilliant. Um, never, you know, never allow him to leave the club, even when he's not in the team. Just keep him around just for the memes. Um, on Mike Dean today. so. He refereed Villa versus Watford last week. And that was nowhere close to as physical a game as this one here. Last week, he gave 31 free kicks in the game. Today, he gave 18. Last week, he booked four players. Today, he didn't book anybody. This is a guy that in a 24-year refereeing career uh for the championship in the premier league has given an average of 3.4 yellow cards per game and in 21 premier league seasons he's given 3.5 yellow cards per game 
and yet he saw fit to not give out one yellow card today. We saw Matt Lowden fling um, Diogo Jota to the ground. That was amazing. How Incredible. can you not? Like, because he gave the foul for it. Yes. Right? Yeah, and gave oh. no yellow card. Remarkable. We saw Costas levelled after he'd played the ball. When Costas hurt his shoulder, he'd played the ball and got absolutely levelled. That should have been a yellow card. Ashley Barnes, for his pulling and dragging, should have had a yellow card. There was an incident in the second half, late in the second half when Eric P- Peters had come on and was playing left wing, where the ball went wide and Harvey was going for it. And Peters slid in completely two-footed. Now, Peters took the ball, but he took quite a bit of Harvey as well, because if you noticed, as Peters got up and went forward, Harvey was hobbling over towards the far touchline. Now, I understand that they're allowing tackles to go a bit this season, but the two-footed tackle has been outruled in football for years. That was a dangerous tackle and should have been A, a free kick to us, and B, an absolute certainty of a yellow card. So... I don't know what Mike Dean was thinking today, but he only awarded eight, uh, 18 free kicks, 12 against them, six against us. There should have been double that amount with some of the physical play that Burnley engaged. And there was one moment in the second half where I can't, I think it was Jota, I think it was Jota, was fouled on the edge of their box. They broke out a little bit. Henderson got himself between ball and man got shoved out of the way, and they continued to break further. And no free kick was given in the favour of Jota or Henderson. Um, I, I don't know what Mike Dean was thinking. As I've said before, I said this last season, whenever we had him, he's too old. The guy's 53. And I'm sorry, at 53, you're not in the physical shape to referee a game of football played by 20-year-olds on a big pitch. You're just not. Mike Dean was 15 to 20 yards away from absolutely everything today. Never once was he on top of the game. And that's a big, big concern for me. And every time he does involve himself, he wants the theatre of being involved. Like when he pulled over Jota and uh, and Barnes, like that whole thing is, is nonsense. You don't need to pull them over. Go and have a word. That's all you need to do. doesn't need to be this big thing where you... You're waving your arms and flapping them about. That doesn't need to happen at all. Go and have a quick word and be done with it. Not the big theatre of, look at me, I, I'm enforcing the rules. So he he needs to be struck off at this point. He's just he's not up to the task. He's always been a bad referee. He is, at this point, an incompetent referee. Um, as for the rest, it was nice to see Thiago at least back. And like you said, that one moment where he did the little shimmy in a turn drove at the defence and everybody backpedaled because they were terrified of him. That was nice to see, but, you know, he's better when he starts. Give him rhythm. He'll be be incredible this season. Great for Naby to get through another game. And Klopp gave him a nice big hug, and I thought Naby was really good today. Good for Henderson to get 90. Good for Harvey to get 90. Far more positives than any negatives. The last couple of minutes were a bit bit ropey, but look, Ali pulls off two world-class saves. And that's great for him because that will build his confidence. That save in the late, the late 1v1 was phenomenal. Like to get a palm to that and, and have the wrist strength to knock it safe is is great. Virgil with that late block, also just that little burst of acceleration that we wondered if it would be there. 
it was there. And people have seen question, oh, he's not, he doesn't look right. He does. Let me reassure you, that guy is coasting through games at the moment. He is coasting. He is not even playing at 60% of what he's currently capable of. And what he's currently capable of won't be what he's fully capable of. So let Virgil bring himself back slowly. The guy is, he is the best defender in the world. He knows what he's doing. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to my good friend, Ian Doyle, who clearly got lucky last night uh, because his match ratings are outstanding. <laughs> he's gone, he's gone Allison nine, Trent eight, Matip eight, only a seven for Virgil, which is strange. Costas eight, Henderson eight. He's given Naby an eight. So he definitely got lucky. Uh, he's given Harvey a nine, uh, Mo an eight, Jota a seven and Mane an eight. Now, I would say he's been maybe one point generous on on everybody, um, maybe except Virgil. I think he's been a bit harsh on, but uh, you know, well done, Ian. You know, nice of you. I know, I know at this age, what he must be fifty uh, to finally find someone. That's it's really good to see. Um, so shout out to Ian Doyle. Uh, may may it long continue for you, son. And now that's it, really. That's it for me this week. Um, you you, know, you must. You, there's been a bit of a shakeup at the channel, um, so there is a slightly new format. Some people will be only getting back into their stride and picking up their habits of listening to podcasts and all the rest of it, even subscribers perhaps. So just remind folks what it is that you'll have on offer for them over the week. Right. So there will be a scouted for Chelsea, obviously with Carl. We've got a scouted coming out, I think, tomorrow, um, where we went through. A couple of Discord questions, and we went through every Premier League team and we picked one player that, that needs to get out, needs to move on, either because they've outgrown the club or they've kind of stagnated and, and need, need a move. So that's tomorrow. We'll have scouted for Chelsea during the week. Um, Two-footed pod, obviously, every day at 4pm. And then the new pod we have, it's a short form, kind of 15-minute quick hit, out around lunchtime every day called the Daily Red, and it's just literally going through the latest Liverpool news, what the, the main, you know, patch journalists are saying, what the main sites, you know, the club site, liverpool.com, this is Anfield, and of course, our own Anfield Index website, and just letting people know what podcasts we've got coming out, what podcasts we have coming out. And as a little bonus, every so often we're going to release uh, a pro pod on the free side, a couple of days after it comes out on pro. So this week we had the, the latest money talks with Mo Chatra. Um, this one here that we're doing now, we're actually going to release as a free pod on the, on Tuesday. Um, just to give people who aren't subscribers an idea of what it is that we do post-match and why this is a show that they need to listen to and should sign up for. Um, I'm also going to petition Eddie to rename it from post-match raw to post-match tangents. Yes. Because uh, that, that generally tends to be the way it goes. But yeah, two for the pot every day at 4 p.m. The Daily Red out around lunchtime every day. And uh, and we'll have scouted with Carl uh, and myself midweek at some point, Wednesday, Thursday. Lovely stuff. Um, for the record, I think I'm on 115 pods this week. Um, all the usual ones that you associate with me. However, we've I've committed to making sure that the uh, 
flagship podcast, the Anfield Index podcast, goes out every week religiously. We also will have an extra show from me every week, whether it's doing a Pro Plus or a news round or something that's um, non-time specific, uh, so that subscribers oh. have extra content. Yes, I have. I'm on. There's a Money Talks on Monday. I yes. don't know if the guest has been announced, so I won't. I won't spoil it. But it is. Um, it's someone that I think people will enjoy listening to. Someone that's very involved in the game of football so mo has asked me to come on and help him host that one uh so that'll be recorded monday maybe out tuesday but yeah so i've got that as well nice all the more reason for people to lean into what i was saying there which is gotta be worth a go gotta be worth a little bit of a of a trial run if nothing else if you're listening to this and you are one of the people who's listening to this on a free site go and sign up for the seven days see what you make of it i'm fairly sure you will stick around with us. Carl, finish us out then with your final thoughts uh, and whatever little links or plugs you want to put in at the end too, please. Uh, well, I'm on the same podcasts that I'm recording with Dave, so I won't go over those again. And uh, I, I actually uh, am back with my statistics to finish up the Raw podcast. Same as Class. Um, Trent, uh, obviously a lovely little assist today for Mane's goal. That is 33 assists in the Premier League for him since the start of the 1819 season. And the only player with more than him across that period is Kevin De Bruyne, who has 34. So only one wow. between them, which is not bad for a fullback. Uh, our fullbacks, obviously, a big, big part of our build-up play. And today, between them, Trent and Costas created more shooting chances than Burnley as a team managed. Uh, seven for Trent, four for Simicas, so 11 between them, and only nine shots for Burnley. Um, one other interesting one, I think, was... Not necessarily like a great performance, not one where you can say, you know, he's got to be in the team next week. But Harvey Elliott is a kid. We've got to remember this. He really is a kid. And not just the maturity in his game and the ability that he's got to be able to be in a Klopp side at this point, but the trust that the, the rest of the Liverpool players have in him was evident with how much they gave him the ball today. And he actually had uh, 77 touches of the ball during the game, which is more than any Burnley player. Um, you know, for an 18-year-old on his first Premier League start for Liverpool, that's astonishingly good. It really is how much involvement he had, not just the great moments, but just the fact that he went after the ball so often, the fact that he was able to get on the ball and make things happen at certain times. There's obviously a lot more to come from this kid. And uh, Trent's assists in total, not just since the start of the 18-19 uh, season that I mentioned, he's actually now level with Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Kane. <laughs> you've got to love these stats that's a lovely upbeat way for us to finish the show that is it for this episode of raw join us for the next one which will take place just after the reds finish their match against chelsea next saturday evening from dave hendrick from carl matchett from producer guy drinkle and myself trev downey thanks for listening be kind to your fellow reds and stay safe out there we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds 
and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.